Welcome to Simplify Your Retirement with Certified Financial Planner Stephen Strickland from Wise Wealth LLC. In this podcast, we help individuals and couples plan for a peaceful and enjoyable retirement. Join us on this journey where we explore the importance of simplifying the retirement planning process as Stephen, with his years of experience and expertise in retirement income planning, along with guest experts, will help you achieve first wisdom, then wealth. And don't forget to check out the Simplify Your Retirement online course and other great resources at SimplifyYourRetirement.com. Now, on to the show. Hello, and welcome to Simplify Your Retirement with Stephen Strickland from Wise Wealth. Hello, Stephen. Hey, Paul. Great to be back. Hey, we're excited for today. I know that we had a great first episode of season one. If you're just tuning in for the first time, make sure you go back and listen to the last episode because today we are continuing the conversation with a very special guest. Absolutely. Um, and uh, I know you mentioned season one, but uh, episode oh, one, yeah, episode, episode one, that's one. all right. Where time flies. <laughs> <laughs> so episode one of season four was great. We had a great uh, guest on and we're just going to just jump right into it, Paul. We've, uh, we're going to continue the conversation because there is a lot to cover and uh, we could have Larry on for all 12 episodes. Uh, and I don't know, you know what I mean? <laughs> I, I know people like economists, but I'm not sure if they like him that much, but uh but we'll have uh, Larry on at least for the first two episodes here of season four. For those of you who missed um, uh, the first episode of the season, we had Larry Kotlikoff on. He is a uh, an economist. Um, there is he, he's got all kinds of credentials. Uh, the Economist magazine ranked Kotlikoff one of the world's twenty five most influential economists. His website is kotlikoff.net, and you can get a lot of information from that website. It's K O T. L-I-K-O-F-F dot net. And uh, he's written many books. His most recent book here is called Money Magic. And that came out just here in January of 2022. And we're excited to uh, continue our conversation, Larry. Well, great to be back with you guys. And, and listen, if you want to have me for all 12, I promise to bring the dragon. <laughs> I'm going to bring the dragons in the last yeah. three episodes. Okay. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> And, uh, and and one of the reasons why I, I like Larry, obviously, because uh, he's an economist and we don't talk to economists, you know, all the time. And uh, obviously his credentials, his background, his straightforward uh, approach. We talked a little bit about this in the podcast last time, non-traditional, let's say, approach. I mean, uh, he's not afraid to call out uh, the government. He's not afraid uh, to call out even financial planners, Paul, uh, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes. And just the way people do things just almost by habit or almost by, you know, tradition. And it's like, well, let's make sure we really think about these things. I mean, he talks about um, rethinking your career and, and whether or not you should uh, get married or whether or not you should get divorced, whether or not you should keep your house and retire. So there's a lot of things in this book that I, that I found very interesting, Money Magic. But one of the things that I think I think our audience needs to know is that uh, Larry and I, you know, Larry lives in Rhode Island. And so... <laughs> And he's out from the Boston area and teaches at Boston University. And so uh, a lot of you know that that's where I grew up in uh, Warwick, Rhode Island. So uh, we've got this connection being uh, New Englanders and, uh, and and being on the East Coast. Yeah. And no, just on that one, I was, you know, there's a chapter in the book called Get House Rich. Because yes. I think you can take your house and transform how you're using it and thinking about it and uh, how big it is and all these downsizing and get, releasing trapped equity, all, all the kinds of questions whether to uh, bring your mom in to live with you right. to share expenses and uh, <laughs> reap, reap the economy. Economies of shared living are just enormous. You know, you can have right. one, one fireplace and one That's TV right. and one, well, maybe two TVs, but uh, 
one washing machine and um yeah and so just why did i i why do i uh works now at boston university for going on to like almost 40 years and love boston the whole reason i went to bu over a bunch of other much more prestigious schools at the time uh was that i love boston mm-hmm. and my wife comes and says here's this beautiful house it's 301 years old in, in rhode island mm-hmm. And I said, no way am I going to leave Boston. We had 960 square feet. We're in the middle of COVID. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm driving her crazy, obviously, because I'm doing all these, you know, doing lots of conversations with colleagues. And, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, she's she can't go outside because, you, you know, it's basically nowhere to go. So and so we she looks, she finds this house, 301 years old. I'm saying we're going to move into a, a museum in Providence, Rhode Island. I knew nothing <laughs> about Providence. But then she tells me the price per square foot's a third of what it is in Boston. And it's, you know, I don't have to commute every day to, to, to work. I, and, you know, in the first the beginning, I was teaching remotely. I may teach again because of Omicron. But mm-hmm. anyway, I get down to the house and uh, I fell in love with it after she said, this, <laughs> you know, we're moving. I said, okay, right. okay, we're moving. Yep. And, uh, and the house is terrific and we're saving all kinds of money. And so I think we've raised our living standard yeah. by about 12% uh, because we're spending so much less on housing. Just by and moving in, in, in this house that you moved to, I, I, like you said, I think it's a, a house that's from the 1720 or something. But this house is like way bigger than the, the condo or whatever you had in Boston, but yet you saved a bunch of money. We were spending less total on housing with uh, about 40 maybe 60% more space. Amazing. Uh, including a backyard, uh, including great neighbors in Boston that people were mostly students. Nobody, we knew no, nobody after eight years. Yep. Here we get here the first day, uh, a, a six-year-old girl comes by with um, a bottle of champagne and a lovely little note and her parents had sent her over. You know, this is like, what America's about, right? right? Exactly, small town USA, and so you found out that you actually enjoy Rhode Island. Oh yeah, we're now in love. We've never been okay. so. <laughs> That's great. Well, and, and the other thing too, I know you talk about this in the book. I mean, you you discuss this really. It, it's not in your case. You were able to move from something smaller to something larger and actually have more, you know, income because your expenses were down. And then obviously, some states have you know lower state income taxes. There's a lot of reasons to consider where you live in retirement. Yeah, the size of your house is, I mean, if you're in a four bedroom and you're saying, my kids love the house and um, I'm never going to sell it because I want them to come for Christmas and Thanksgiving. I want them to be able to sleep in their own beds. Well, go talk to those kids. Say, look, if I sell the house, I move next door, Mm -hmm. I go to a two bedroom, but we have Christmas in Hawaii every year. (laughs) Which And we use the money to, to fly everybody out to Hawaii which would you prefer? Right. <laughs> They're going to say, guess what? They're going to say, let's go to Hawaii. Right. Or let's exactly. go to Greece every year. Let's Every year we're going to go to a different place and uh, have a great, as opposed to yelling at each other after three days right. in the old house. <laughs> Being in the house. So that's right. And so, yeah, I look at that a lot of times too. It's like a lot of people say, you know, uh, I'm leaving, we're going to stay in the house because we're going to leave the house to the kids. Well, if you have three kids, I mean, which ultimately what we're saying is you're not leaving the house of the kids. All three kids aren't moving back in with their families. You're basically saying we're leaving these at the asset to the kids. 
Yeah, and then the kids are going to fight over this. You know, better to better to give the money. That's another thing I push. I, I think I push this in the book, which is think about if you're leaving money to your kids and you're in a high tax bracket and they're in a low tax bracket, give it to them now mm-hmm. because uh, they're in a low tax bracket. They're going to save taxes. Or I'm not sure I even put this in the book. But like, no, it's like 300 pages, but I could write another book tomorrow right. and save much. Just give it to people are just too um, hesitant to make gifts yeah. as opposed to uh, leaving bequests when um, the kids can use the money to start their own business, uh, whatever, uh, pay off student loans. I mean, interesting. Yep. That makes sense. Uh, there's a lot of uh, things to, to look at uh, in, in certainly even in our uh, firm here, we're looking at that a lot. You know, it, it's sort of like a you know, a dead asset. You've got a massive, you've got a house that has no debt on it. And, uh, and obviously you, you do talk about how, there, you know, obviously there's, there's an emotional side of this thing and, uh, and making sure you have no mortgage. I know you're certainly against, uh, having a mortgage and making sure that's paid off. Uh, but then, you know, once you have a paid off mortgage and you have this asset there that really is not working for you other than maybe just keeping up with inflation, I think it is important to start looking at, you know, what's the best use of that asset. Yeah. So, you know, when I moved, we moved to Providence after, you know, a couple of months, I started bragging to friends and people and also, online, you know, in these kinds of interviews, hey, look at what, you know, how brilliant I was with and my wife to make this move and how much money we would save. But then I realized I'd really been stupid. The, you know, I'd spent too many years in Boston overpaying for housing, could have done this eight years ago, done even better. It was ridiculous. And, uh, we have a little cottage, an old cottage up in Vermont, mm-hmm. and we decided. I thought my kids would just be devastated if I tore down the thing, right. and <laughs> and didn't renovate it. Well, I well had no foundation. They put uh, built houses back in like 1920 on milk containers filled with cement. Amazing. And they would lay out a grill and everything, that, and then the ground would move. Yeah. So this is why houses are slanted. You know, <laughs> everything's uh, kind of collapsing up in Vermont. Right. So I decided, well, we'll just put in our foundation. Well, when we put in the foundation, everything else moved, mm-hmm. you know, like a half a huge amount of money later. I don't want to say the number because it's too, too, too embarrassing for <laughs> one of the, one of the world's supposedly the top, top economists. economists. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I- idiots of Vaughn here. Uh, we have a beautiful cottage and that ice, you know, just knocked the thing down and saved and just rebuilt something reasonable. The kids would have a whole lot more money and my wife would not be. <laughs> right. And you were trying right. to save this, uh, this uh, experience for them that they had when they were little and uh, they could have a lot better experience now. Yeah, I get that totally. It's just. Yeah, it was like, and I should have sat down and said, let's really think this through. Yes. You know, what am I doing? Really had talked. And then the contractor was basically not telling me what's likely because he was mm. seeing all this income coming into him, which arrived to him. So he wasn't really that helpful. Well, it's funny because, uh, you know, even you talked about in the book, I mean, uh, like we mentioned even last time, it's like, uh, you, you have no problem calling out, you know, uh, school, you know, uh, universities are trying to get people to do student loans, you know, maybe financial advisors that don't do it a certain way, but even, even economists, you know, you even mentioned that uh, they are wrong from time to time. Uh, you have oh, a group, yeah, get yeah. a group of economists together and <laughs> all the different answers that you get. I thought that was funny. Yeah. The, the, you know, we have developed in economics, this whole area uh, called behavioral finance. Yes. It's all predicated on people 
making mistakes with the assumption being that uh, people are going to, uh, if they were really smart, if they really uh, were financially literate, if they really had good self-control, if they were good, well-behaved in these respects, they did their homework, they would not make mistakes. The code for Social Security is a seven reams long of paper. If you print it out, it's efficiently, efficiently uh, engineered software code. We have fantastic engineers in the company, brilliant people. Everything is a few as lines of code as possible. Mm-hmm. An entire ream of paper uh, just to get the Social Security right. No way. Right. I, I made 50K for a top, one of the top Harvard economists uh, on the airplane in two minutes just because he had no idea about the rules. So the problem is not these behavioral issues. So what we really need to do is just tell people what the answer is. And that's why I wrote the book. You know, I, I, that's why I developed the software. I thought everybody's going to run the software, which is very simple to run. It works like uh, TurboTax. You get the answer. It's very easy. But uh, not a lot of people want to run software. So I said, right. let me just They're used to run the thing for them, for them and just put the answers in the book uh, for different cases. Yeah, absolutely. So Money Magic is the book. In, in, in the book, in the intro here, I know you do talk about uh, – you know, living standard. And one of the things about it is to limit your risk. And there's five risks here uh, that I want to ask you about, you know, maybe each one of them and you can just say something about it. And then maybe something about how a person can, you know, overcome or mitigate that risk. And I think this is extremely important because um, you're talking about your, your, you know, the software that you created that would answer, would help financial advisors answer a lot of these behavioral issues that people have. We look at retirement planning here and say, you know, most financial advisors go directly into uh, portfolio selection and, you know, risk tolerance profile questionnaires and so forth. And we say, well, first of all, we have to take a step back. And I think that's what you did in this book and say, well, first, before we can even do any planning going forward, we got to understand the risk that we're up against. And, and we always right. start our class, simplifyretirement, you know, dot com. We start our online course, we start our live course with covering all the risks that people face going into retirement. Because to me, uh, you don't have a plan, a retirement income plan, unless it's written down, but it's also, it has to address each of the risks. A plan is not just a portfolio. A plan is not just an asset allocation model. A plan is a, a written document that addresses how are we going to handle each of these risks. And you mentioned in the book, earnings risk, mortality risk, longevity risk, inflation risk, and investment risk. So when it comes to earning risk, you know, the risk that your career or job expectations won't pan out. What do you mean by earnings risk and what can somebody do about it? Well, you know, I think I talked last time about my wife working for Wayfair and property management and being forced to drive over, uh, you know, put on, you know, over the country at 59 mm-hmm. because they had arranged this to, to figure out a way without explicitly firing older people to fire older people because the stamina to do that, to you know, to fly overnight and coach to Utah and then drive three yeah. hours and then do the, you know, drive back the next day and fly home. That's not something somebody in their who's 59 is going right. to do. With, that's when at a time she uh, started working with them. So they had a range out of, you know, so that's earnings risk. So you can, so you want to think about the, long, the length of your job. Uh, are you going to be happy in this job? Is it going to be fulfilling? You're going to get burned out. And uh, what's the career uh, you know, the, the growth path, but is it really some kind of a sham where they're going to promise you dangle this uh, carrot, but actually uh, they may, after 10 years, they may shut down. Maybe uh, they're just not going to make it. And a lot of companies do fail. 
And then there's inflation risk. Is the job going to keep up with inflation? And then I talk about, well, how can you insure yourself against this? Well, if you can go on the market and buy put options against your company, this is a little bit esoteric, right. and actually sell your company short, that's what economics has to do because you have all this risk in your human capital in this job. You want to protect yourself. If they go under, you don't want to go under. That's right. What, another, another idea, which is actually more feasible, is just to buy the stock of competitors. If you got if you're working for um, for Ford, well, buy you know Toyota GM, right? yeah. stock. Yeah, because no. that's going to reduce your risk. No, that, that makes sense. They're going to they're going to do better when you're when Ford goes under. Right. Not that Ford's not that Ford's going under, but but you know, just an example. Yeah. No, it's just uh, the whole point. I, yeah, I think is you know, be uh, intentional about your your earnings, your career. Look at the future. Um, and again, we always know there's a, uh, a, a an emotional side of this whole thing, but also just from a earning standpoint, you know, looking at, uh, like you said, the, the future and the, um, and the career path and the ability to, uh, continue to grow in that job and, uh, your, your income to keep up with inflation and so forth. And yeah, and also just to see real quick, uh, just, I also talk about the advantage of being self-employed. You can't be yes. harassed. You can't be fired. You can't, you can set, you know, you can, you'll, you'll determine your own bonus. Uh, all these things you can, you know, adjust by, uh, firing people rather than having yourself fired right so there are lots of risk mitigating aspects of being self-employed that i just occurred to me as writing about this right no exactly and that's uh it's a great way to start the book. It's chapter one of the book my daughter the plumber uh you talk about that and and the different ways to think through your career and earnings and i thought that was a good way to start and then you know even while you're talking i always think about you know the risk somebody has you know in the job that they have and this is interesting you know concepts that you're throwing out there uh, to mitigate against that risk. But, you know, another one we always look at a lot of times is, you know, when someone works for a great company, uh, but then you look in their, you know, 401k and they own, you know, 25% of their 401ks in that company stock, or uh, you look at their overall assets and they have a massive portion of their overall assets in their company stock through some sort of employee stock purchase plan. And so it's the same idea. You got to be careful. That's what your uh, you're banking on that job being there for you from a career standpoint. You may not want to also bank on it from, you know, an investment standpoint and just, you know, being diversified. Yeah, absolutely. I agree 100%. And the bigger point is you can't just look at your portfolio as consisting just of your financial assets. Your job, your human capital uh, is part of that. If you have an absolutely secure job, you're working for the civil service, that's like a bond. That's so you're really in in a and but it's an inflation index bond because its income is going to keep up with inflation, right? For yep, sure, absolutely. at least we have, um, so security is a bond. Uh, uh, so you have to take this broader perspective of of your portfolio, right? Absolutely. But things that, that don't things that don't seem like financial assets actually are. So security is your, and for most people, the first or second largest financial asset. Yeah, what the the lifetime income is, what size of a portfolio or size of an asset you would have to produce that income. Absolutely. And then you, you talk about mortality risk and longevity risk. So I, I'll put those two together uh, because they kind of work uh, in, you know, in tandem. What would you say about mortality risk and longevity risk? So most of us are very worried about um, about dying early, right? We want to, we love our grandkids, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. We don't want to die early. So we I think we uh, don't want to really look uh, carefully at living to our maximum age of life, which is a possibility uh, because, or to a very old age, because we don't want to jinx ourselves. So we psychologically let uh, the financial industry, let Wall Street 
focus our attention on dying at our life expectancy, dying on time. And in no other area of insurance do we think about playing the odds, which is, uh, uh, you know, doing uh, something happening that's the average uh, thing that's to happen. So when we we buy a car, we buy catastrophic insurance for right. totaling the car. We buy health insurance for cancer operation. We buy homeowners insurance for the house burning down. With uh, annuities, which are insurance against uh, living for uh, to your maximum age of life, we don't buy them because we're being told by by Wall Street that you're going to die at your life expectancy. And even by Social Security, they put out these tables. I keep using these terms, referencing your life expectancy. Right. Well, if we just focus on the average, we would buy no type of no insurance of any kind, right? Uh, because on average, you're going to get back less than your and the payoff. But we're we're not going to die more than once. Mm-hmm. And if we die like my mom did at 98, we have to. The biggest uh, risk we face in old age, or one maybe the second biggest, apart from healthcare costs, is um, longevity risk, outrunning our money. Right. And my I just tell the story of. When my mom was 88, uh, uh, I said to my brother and sister, both uh, my, my sister was running major U.S. companies in her career, and my brother's a provost at Cornell. I said, look, let's take uh, the money we have left uh, that's not coming directly out of our pocket, the mom's money, and buy an annuity. And they say, you're absolutely nuts. Uh, she's Her life expectancy is four years. She's going to, you mm-hmm. know, this is just, she's going to die before uh, 92, and we're going to waste money. And I said, no, the, the, the danger is not losing money. The danger is that she lives to 90, you know, right. to 100, and we're we're paying for years. That's right. I mean, just as a financial calculation, we wanted her to live to 90. So she makes it, ends up making it to, I insist we buy the thing. She ends up making it to, making it to 98, and it saved us a huge amount of money. Yeah. And um, <laughs> uh I somehow, I think I may have impressed them a little right, bit. You may have finally convinced them. You you know a thing or two here. So, But yes, yeah, so you've got <laughs> mortality risk, you know, the risk of dying too young. So you, you look at full, you know, supposedly life expectancy and mortality risk means you're going to die before that. And so you better, have, you might want to have life insurance, some other things in place. Longevity risk says you're, you're and plus really, honestly, the full, full reti- you know, life expectancy is literally the average. That means, you know, half the people, you know, die before then, half the people die after then. So half the people, you know, listen to the podcast are going to die after their life expectancy. Well, it's not, it's average, not median, but yes, yeah, you're basically gotcha. on target there. So economics says you have to plan to live to your maximum age of life because you might. Yep. You have to look at the catastrophic event, but because the chances of living to your maximum age are very low, what you're going to do if you're not super risk averse is uh, spend more when you're younger mm-hmm. and, and plan to spend less when you're older. That's what our software lets you do. That's what um, uh, you know I talk about in the book. That's how you adjust to the mortality risk. You don't plan on dying on time because you're not going to do it. Right. The industry, the industry, and Social Security. Until I sat down with the chief actuary of Social Security, they had all kinds of you know they had a zillion references to life expectancy on their website. They're not there that now because I convinced uh, Steve Goss, who's a good buddy of mine, that this was really bad. He, he's trained as an actuary. <laughs> you know, it's not his fault. Yes. I think this is just terribly dangerous. For, this is the wrong thing. To be, and immediately he changed it. 
You got the point. Yep. No, I think that's great. I mean, uh, to really think through that. And uh, like you said, you can't just go by, you know, the averages. And so you got to, you know, think about what would happen if, if you died before them, what would happen if you live a very long time and you outlive your assets. And so people can buy an annuity to, to ensure against longevity risk. You can buy life yeah. insurance to, you know, mitigate or to insure yeah. against mortality risk. So there's ways to handle all of these. And then I want to get into, because I know we're running out of time, these last two, we'll talk about these two together. And I want to get your you know comments on two of the other risks that you mentioned, inflation and investment risk. And I think those two kind of go together. You know, what do you think about those? How do you handle those two risks? Let me just tie back inflation risk to uh, risk because it's, okay. it's um, right now you can't buy a inflation indexed annuity, an inflation adjusted annuity. The one I bought from my mom was inflation adjusted, sold by the principal company, but they stopped doing it mm-hmm. for some reason. She, by the way, was the oldest person to to, to buy an annuity. Mm, yeah, they, yeah, 88, they, right. <laughs> yeah, they never sold an annuity to anybody. That They made an exception to sell it to her. Interesting. That, that itself is a statement. Right. Because people at this age need annuity insurance. Anyway, so now you, you can buy an, a, an insh- annuity for old, older people or younger people, but they're not. there's no adjustment for inflation. We're just seeing now 7% inflation. It could be 9% in a couple months on an annual basis. How do you protect yourself? Well, one way is if you if you take out a bigger mortgage or if you have a mortgage, then if inflation takes off, you're losing on the annuity, but you're gaining on the mortgage because the mortgage is a nominal payment that you make, make not receive. Yeah. So you're paying back in watered down dollars. Um, now, the other question you had was about uh, how to think about uh, investment. investment risk. Yes. Well, there's two things that, that I stress here. One is that uh, how how aggressively you spend can be as important as how aggressively you invest in terms of uh, determining, co-determining uh, your downside risk, which is in the future. You know, so now you're 70 and you're thinking about nine, you know, at, at uh, 90 or 85, how much money, how much, what will my living standard be? Uh, and if you've spent up, uh, you know, on an aggressive basis, thinking for sure you're going to get six and a half percent real on the market, and the market collapses <laughs> and doesn't return, you know, in eighty in uh, the Great Depression, it fell eighty six percent, doesn't come back for fifteen years uh, to its even value in twenty nine. You're up, up this up absolutely. The so, so what economics says is is look at your. Uh, there's a simple way to figure out the kind of the spread of your living standard. Mm-hmm. Think about, look at that picture where you're adjusting every year you're spending in in light of your returns and then see about the downside. Uh, just run, make some calculations and uh, or you can always run our software, maxify.com, it does this. Absolutely. And I think that's very important. And, and, and it's one of the issues, you know, that we have with just, you know, basing, uh, you know, everyone's financial decisions or income decisions for the rest of your life based on an average annual rate of return and assuming that same exact rate of return is going to continue um, for every single year. If you had a fixed rate investment, that'd be the case. But if you have uh, um, a, a variable investment where sequence of returns, you know, is going to make an impact on those uh, returns and you've got to plan ahead and you've got to really, uh, it's not just one of these risks, it's all of them together. And, and you look at these combined and say, okay, let's, let's handle, yeah. you know, longevity risk. If we live too long. Let's handle investment risk and what, make sure uh, we, your sequence of returns doesn't get to us. One last really quick uh, point is, uh, cause I know you're time limited. There's also a discussion of what's called upside investing, which is taking 
all your stock, think about all the stocks, uh, I'll call that the risky asset, all the money you're gonna add to your stocks and treating them as completely lost. Like the money, the $200 you take to the casino, that's the winnings you're prepared to lose, leaving your love at the hotel room. And then invest everything else safely. So now you build a living standard floor based on your safe investments. And at some point when you withdraw from the stock market, if there's any money there, then you adjust up, you invested safely, but you can adjust permanently your living standard. So it's all upside risk to your living standard, no downside risk. Right. This is really the way the middle class should should be um, uh, operating. And, and we've got this in our software too, yep. well, upside investing. Yep. Very interesting. I know you talk about it in the book. The book is Money Magic by uh, Larry Kotlikoff. Uh, you can go to his website, kotlikoff.net, K-O-T-L-I-K-O-F-F.net. And then also Simplify Retirement, Paul, you and I, you know, we've been looking at these things, studying these things for years, same same ideas, but we use a three-bucket approach, yes. a liquid bucket, an income bucket, and a growth bucket. Our philosophy is that you should protect the income, grow the rest. You should protect yourself against longevity risk. You should, uh, you know, not take a risk with your income stream. You can increase your lifestyle through growth in the stock market. You can, uh, you can beat inflation by the way you invest in the growth bucket and increase healthier costs and increase the taxes. And so, while we have come up with a comprehensive approach to a lot of the principles that even uh, Larry's talking about today. Uh, through the three-bucket approach, through Simplify Retirement. I want to remind everybody that we do have a website, simplifyyourretirement.com. You can go there. We have an online course. We actually have a live course coming up that I'm going to teach here in Lee Summit in February. Uh, You can sign up for that live course. Um, You can take an online course. You can get the book and listen to the podcast. And so a lot of things we're talking about here, uh, we teach in our classes, in our books. And so I'm going to hand it back to you, Paul. But uh, before I give it back to you to close out uh, this episode, Larry, again, I just want to thank you for joining us today, being a guest. Uh, A great pleasure. Any any time. Thank you. Yeah. You know, and as I've listened over the last couple episodes, um, you know, there's a couple of things that come to mind, but the the biggest to me was this, this concept of, your life and your retirement is unique. Mm-hmm. Everyone listening, our life and our retirement are going to be different than everyone else. There are some principles that apply across things. And when and over all the years that we've done planning, we see a lot of commonalities right. and similarities, but everyone is different. So if your life and your retirement is unique, so should be your plan mm-hmm. and your advice. Right. So the advice that you're getting right now is it unique to you or is it standardized? That's right. Very important. So that, that's something to think about. Uh, that's the behavior of finance aspect of things too. And uh, certainly appreciate having Larry on. And I know that uh, these episodes can be downloaded as well so that you can go back and listen to it. There's a lot of great information in these last two episodes. And uh, we're looking forward to episodes moving forward as well. But again, thank you, Larry. And of course, thank you, Stephen, for having great Larry buddy. on. And... Uh, You know, of course, our last thank you goes to you, the listening audience. We wouldn't be here without you. Thank you for tuning into the Simplify Retirement Podcast with Stephen Strickland. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Stephen comes out with a new podcast, it will show up directly on your listening device. This does make it much easier to share these podcasts with your family and friends. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Wise Wealth, this is Paul Brock reminding you that financial peace comes from having a plan. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Simplify Your Retirement podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available.
The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Wise Wealth LLC or Simplify Your Retirement. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of a financial advisor or other qualified financial professionals with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.